say hello to Floyd Little and Jim Brown, Sean Tucker in the orange record books with his fifth touchdown of the game. All across CNY. Keep the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. It's the 315. Hardy faking feeds the Grace Jameson. He scores! Here's Brian Higgins. That's uh, a, a fitting song uh, as USA about to take the pitch in Qatar for the start of uh, their World Cup. Officially started yesterday and third game of the day today. We'll talk more than zero soccer on the program today, in, uh, including uh, this game. Uh, uh, we can't call the game. That would be against the rules. We get fined by FIFA. Well, there might be a whole bribery scandal. Lots going on, but they're, they are somewhere in Qatar right now. Yeah, the stadium with no booze, about set to play the Welsh. And uh, if we know anything about a soccer game between USA and Wales, there probably should be booze. It's it's soccer. That's the way it works with a team from the UK. But uh, we'll have eyes on that throughout the show. Updates as warranted. Other soccer to talk about as well. The uh, Syracuse soccer team. Hoping to talk to Ian McIntyre at some point uh, this week, maybe tomorrow. He'll be happy today already, his uh, hometown team. England, they put six goals up. This morning in a demolition of the Iranians. And uh, his new team, the United States, became a citizen uh, last year as just underway. Just underway in Game of the World Cup, USA and Wales. Game three of the day. I don't know about the rest of you. Like, we're not going to like really hardcore break down World Cup brackets and groups and nonsense over the course of the next a month or so, which is about how long this thing takes to uh, play out. No, uh, we will pay attention to the U.S. team mainly because we would anyway. But they they play during our show relentlessly. They're playing today during the show. They're playing Friday during the show, and I believe it is Tuesday next week. They are playing uh, during the show, and games uh, start like right at the beginning of the show. So you better believe we're going to watch it. They start at two. And when soccer games say they're going to start at two, they don't start at two o two. They don't start at two o seven. They start at two. So you always know, uh, at least during the first half of games, just by looking at your watch, if you got it tuned in correctly to the Greenwich Mean Time, uh, what minute they're in of the game. So underway in the World Cup with a really weird-looking graphic at the top of the uh, screen. But uh, we'll have eyes on that a little bit today. We'll, we'll talk uh, the other footballs as well, the Syracuse football and the Syracuse football, differing results over the weekend and obviously a lot of basketball to get to throughout a couple of hours today with the games tonight and tomorrow for the men. Just got a win on Saturday in the Dome. The women play tonight as well on the road at Penn State. So uh, lots and lots of action here as we jump our way headfirst into Thanksgiving week. Uh, the plan this week, no show on Thursday. It's Thanksgiving. But we got shows every other day. We'll be here today, clearly, tomorrow. Wednesday and Black Friday, when you are out and about getting all the deals, though the deals are gone by two, you've done it by by two. You'll be with us on Friday, as uh, that is prime time for the USA and England Friday afternoon at two o'clock. Early free kick in the game, but we'll we'll keep you updated on that if there is to be a goal or not. Not always a goal in the offing. Just quickly to get my other soccer thought out of the way, since there is soccer in front of my uh, face right now. Great win yesterday for the Orange men's soccer team. Talked about it last week when we were joined by their all ACC player, Giorgio Kovchevsky. They played uh, yesterday. Uh, 
wee bit brisk outside for a soccer contest yesterday. The wind was something, man. The ball was fluttering all over the place. Fell behind 1-0 in about the 60th minute or so. But, hey, you're a top-five team, third-ranked in the country right now. Took him a few minutes, got the goal back. Had many, many chances, couldn't quite score, then went to overtime, scored really quickly in overtime, and then were able to defend for the next 18 minutes or so and get out of there with a 2-1 win. It will be and Cornell in the Sweet 16 of soccer. It's a 48-team tournament. So if you are one of the top 16 teams, you get a bye. So you play in the second round, Sweet 16 is the third round. They'll be playing uh, Cornell uh, this upcoming week. I believe that game is on Sunday at the SU Soccer Stadium. So looking forward uh, to that. And hopefully, again, we'll be joined by Ian McIntyre on the program sometime this week, ideally tomorrow, if things uh, line up as we would like throughout the week. But a great win for them yesterday and a legit in it with a chance to go to the national title game uh, this weekend. Uh, again, the, the game is this Sunday against Cornell, one of their rare losses this season. Orange have only lost twice. One of them was to Cornell. Back on a Tuesday night. Tuesday's the weird night in college soccer when weird results happen. 2-1 loss on Tuesday to Cornell back in early October. Cornell won 2-1 against Maryland yesterday. The Orange 2-1 winners themselves. They will play Sunday at 2 o'clock at the soccer stadium. So all good there. But we start with the football today. And the Orange have now lost five in a row. And was it a surprise they lost at Wake Forest? Absolutely not. This was always going to be one of the toughest games on the schedule this year. But uh, the loss uh, this week was definitely switching to a different way than we've seen. The offense found footing and found footing fast. Is Garrett Schrader hurt? Well, the eye test says exactly what Garrett said earlier in the week, that he is definitely way less hurt than he was a week ago. And that played out. Is he 100%? No, he is not. Didn't really run the ball a lot, but he was involved in the run game in a way that he was not a week ago. And perhaps most importantly, he could throw the ball again. Couldn't drive off his right leg the last couple of weeks. You can't do that. You can't throw a football, at least not well. Now this week he threw it well. First career 300-yard passing game. The Orange put up 35 points, which would be good enough to win basically every game they played all year. 35 points. But it was not good enough to win on Saturday as Wake put up 45 of their own. Sam Hartman was spectacular. Spectacular. Is he going to be an NFL quarterback? Yeah, he'll be in the league, I think. Will he be an NFL starter? Hmm. He's not quite the body size, big and strong, like a lot of NFL starting quarterbacks are, though that is changing. Well, what stood out to me and what the Orange defense could not handle on Saturday night, adding the injuries, what they could not handle was uh, the way that he passed the ball so early. Not early in plays, but early in the routes. I mean, they got that delayed mesh. It makes it, you think that everything is taking way longer than it actually is. But, man, that guy was just throwing the ball where he knew a receiver was going to be. Whether the receiver knew it yet, whatever the defender knew, Hartman was putting the ball in, like, millimeter the right spot. Receivers maybe almost kind of got turned around by the time the ball got there. Defenders 
didn't have a chance in many ways because they didn't see where the ball was. It happened to Isaiah Johnson, I don't know how many times during the game, where he was right where he needed to be in theory. But in actuality, he wasn't able to get his body turned, his hand in there or whatever. By the time the ball zipped right past him, and zipped is maybe too strong. Hartman's not a weak-armed quarterback, but he doesn't have a cannon. He's not Josh Allen out there. But accuracy in the NFL is huge. Like Sam Hartman, smarts, accuracy, there's no reason he can't hang around the league for a long time uh, with those traits. He was great. But the Orange defense, the Orange defense has collapsed. It was, I don't think it was a mirage. Six, seven, I'd even include the Clemson game in there. The cracks started showing against Notre Dame. I don't think it was a mirage how good the defense was the first half of the season. I think they were good. Now, the schedule was easier, of course. But that they were good. They were legitimately good at football on defense for the first half of the season. And the defense is not good anymore. Why? Injuries is the easy answer. Is it the right answer? I think it's a very large part of the right answer. And this past week, you've already lost Garrett Williams out for the season. He is your best defensive back. Jahad Carter played this game. He got hurt, looked like significantly the week before. I would have bet a lot that he was out for the year. Clearly not. Was he as effective as he had been? Did he play the whole game? No. Up front, Terry Lockett, man, he got injured so long ago, you start forgetting his name. Stephon Thompson, remember when the orange linebacking core was three? Three studs? He got hurt in the opener. And then this week on... The first offensive play of the game. Down goes the most important guy. Now, Garrett Williams off the defense is the guy that is going to be the highest drafted, even with the ACL. Is he the best guy at the next level? Probably, at least, you know, measurables in the whole deal. But Michael Jones is not just the heart and soul of this defense. He is the heart and soul of this football team. The team has many captains. If there's a captain of the captains, it's him. And it's not like he vanished. He was there on the sideline. He, he was very visible. Like You saw him on the sideline a lot. That's how close he was standing to like where Dino was. He, they always show the head coach on, on TV. How many times after he left the game, after they were done doing treatment, certainly in the second half, after they were done doing treatment to the ankle or whatever he hurt, at least the ankle, who knows what he hurt. But how many times did you see him in the shot? That means he was still involved, engaged you know, in the game. But when he's not on the field, actively communicating, like we talked to this on, he was on this show last week when we talked to Mike Hill. The dude's on the field, he never shuts up. And I don't mean that in a way where some guys just run their mouth the whole game. He is talking in ways that matter, communicating to the defense. The only guy he doesn't need to talk to is Marlo Wax because they already know the answer to what the other person's saying. So for one, you lose him. You lose the magical connection that he and Marlo have, and you lose the connective tissue of the whole defense. Now, was Wake still going to score a lot of points in that game if Marlowe played the whole game? Yeah, I think so. They had a great game plan. They basically attacked wherever the reserves were on defense. Feel bad for Isaiah Johnson, but they were going after him. Why? Because he wasn't Garrett Williams. Because Garrett was out. Did Deuce Chestnut give up one touchdown to A.T. Perry? <laughs> I mean, man, he was right there on the play, but he gave up a touchdown. Yes, but... They didn't throw at Deuce a lot. 
because they knew they could attack the backups in the secondary because there were so many. And because there's a quarterback that is smart enough to know the game plan and follow it to a T, and he has the capability to execute it. They knew exactly where the ball needed to go in the game, and he put it there time and time and time again. I know every team has injuries, but that formula changes a bit if Garrett Williams is in that spot. Now, maybe Sam Hartman in that case just says, okay, we're not going there. We're going to move A.T. Perry over here, and uh, he's going to dominate over here. Garrett Williams played in that game in the Dome last year where A.T. Perry scored three touchdowns. He didn't play this last week. A.T. Perry scored, guess how many? Three more touchdowns. If you only watch Syracuse Wake Forest games, A.T. Perry is the best wide receiver in the country. The dude's a pro, but he's not the best wide out in the country. It only feels like it. But it, it's just a shame to, to see the defense decline like this. And it's not the only reason. There's excuses and there's reasons. It is a reason. But the volume of injuries has become too much to overcome. The good news, spinning it forward, is the at least somewhat return to health of Garrett Schrader. Schrader said it last Tuesday that he was feeling a lot better. Said, what what could have happened? Like you you looked like you could barely move on Saturday. Nothing has really happened. Obviously he does treatment and whatnot. But man, what kind of magic thing happened between then and now that you're feeling better? So well, we'll see it when we see it. You can see it a few plays into the game. Okay. Is he doing what he could do first six games of the year before he got hurt? No. But he was too, back to a level of competency where he could move the ball. He was sucking it deep more than he had at any point this season. I liked uh, the addition of Demarcus Adams into the lineup more. He is the best speedster deep threat they have. Adams, remember, originally started his collegiate career at Florida State, where, yes, he was on the football team, but the main athletic accomplishment he had while at Florida State was being all ACC in the 110-meter hurdles. The dude can fly. He caught the one deep ball. There was uh, another one that, you know, there was the, the holding on that was just nonsense. That would have been a touchdown. And there was the one that had him open over the middle and Schrader, and he just missed. But it, that, that deep threat has opened up the offense a little bit. That's not what Gadsden is. And as much as Alford can catch a deep ball, that's more due to his size than his speed, even though he's not slow. So I, I liked that change that was made during the week on offense. I liked LaQuint Allen being put in. A, you don't need to use Tucker on every play. You've got a talented other guy. And B, I really love the plays when they were both in the field together. That strains the defense in a way that is uh, unique to what Syracuse does a bit and barely uh, barely been done at all this season. So I like those things. What we haven't seen, though, all year is the halftime adjustments on offense or defense. They're just not there. You know, the scene of the game, like the orange started off like gangbusters and it slowly slides away. And then, you know, panic mode late, you're able, Schrader's able to do his magic and make something work down the field. But it's twofold. The orange lost a game against a team that's probably better than them, but it's disappointing the way it happened. And we can get into clock management and the whole thing in a little bit. That, that kind of needs its own stage uh, for how that was bungled yet again. Not bungled in Dino's mind. We'll hear what Dino had to say about it here in a moment. And he has an explanation that is valid. His mind, I happen to disagree with it, but I, I will give him credit for how well thought out it is. We'll get to that uh, in just a few minutes. But next week, I, I at least saw enough this week, and then BC gets shellacked by Notre Dame shutout 44 nothing in South Bend. 
that I'm back to feeling like okay, like if you don't beat if you don't go and just smush BC this week, there's got to be a lot of soul searching after that. So we'll see how it goes. But that's the initial thoughts on the football. Still scoreless in the World Cup. We have entered the 16th minute of the game. The United States and Wales. The USA has had the uh, best of the ball. An early yellow card shown to Weston McKinney, who's dyed his hair red, white, and blue. Update, as warranted, from Qatar. We'll take a break. Hear a little bit from Dino when we come back. Adam Terry coming up at 2.30. Charlotte Carroll talking New York Giants at 3. And we'll get to basketball before too long. The Orange in Richmond tonight at 7 from Barclays Center in Brooklyn. We're off and running today on the 315 at com and ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 at 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. All across central New York, it's the 315 with Brian Higgins. Hey, that's me. Update from Qatar. They've entered the 21st minute scoreless. The United States and Wales, perhaps the most important game of the group stage for advancement for either of these two teams. U.S. and England on Friday, Iran next Tuesday, U.K. battle of Wales and England next Tuesday. All right, there's our World Cup update approaching fastly. The 22nd minute, still scoreless. Somewhere in Qatar. Where? I have no idea. Does it matter? Not really. They're at a soccer stadium. They all kind of look the same from this angle. The pitch is gorgeous. All right, moving along. Back to soccer in a moment. Adam Terry coming up in eight minutes or so. But right now, how about a little of Dino? It's time to spin the wheel. Let's spin the wheel of Dino. All right, so the Orange were down big in the game. It was 45-21 early in the fourth quarter. You're down 24. The odds say you're going to lose that game, and you're going to lose that game essentially every time. But there's also other numbers of how you complete a comeback. 24 is three touchdowns and three two-point conversions. Is that very likely? No, it's not. But that is the math. The Orange scored to uh, scored the first touchdown to cut it and opted to go for one instead of two and made it 17, which is still a three-possession game. It was questioned at the time by many. Dino had a peculiar answer after the game. He had a, a long one we'll play now, but it was uh, much more uh, thought out anyway as far as the analytics and the math and everything that went into it this morning. Watch this. I'll take it even generically, okay? It's 40%, okay? Versus Wake Forest in the last two years, it's 38%. The chances of making three versus Wake Forest drops it to less than 10% based off of math alone. Or you can play it for a four-possession game. By playing it with a three-possession game, the last time you have the ball, you have to score a touchdown. Playing it with a four-possession game, the last time you touch the ball, you may kick a field goal with a field goal kicker that has the range of 50 yards, which means you can somewhere, you can attempt it eight, 42, 32, 35, 45, somewhere around the 32-yard line, you can attempt the ball and you can have an opportunity to tie the game. Those are all the things that are going through our heads when there's 10 minutes left to go, whether you're deciding to make it a three-possession game or a fourth-possession game. Now, the reciprocal is, hey, coach, what's the chances of you getting the ball four times? Well, if you look at it, if, if we get the call with the quarterback, Okay, we get the ball for possessions. If we make the field goal, even with 17 seconds left, you get it with four possessions. And I'm not going to get excited about what time we'd have had left to 
win the game with an onside kick and a Hail's Mary, but it still gives you an opportunity. It comes down to whether you're going to play for three possessions or four possessions and whether you feel like you can get the fourth possession. To play for three possessions, we were taking a mathematical chance of saying that we we're going to be less than 10% was enough for us to win the game. And mathematically, that wasn't enough for me. That's a lot of things on whether to go for two or not. And uh, I, I don't disagree with Dino's numbers, but it is not what I would have done there. Uh, just because I, I think at that point, okay, you go for two. If you get it, it's a 16-point game. Now you're down to two possessions, potentially. If you don't get it, now it's an 18-point game. You still need to score again. You score another touchdown. You go for two and you make it, and you're right back to a 10-point game where you would have been uh, regardless of what had happened if you had gone for one just two times. And I, I think the main issue is I, I am not for I'm not a guy that says go for two, you know, first half or anything. I, I think it screws you up if you do it too soon. It was the fourth quarter. There was, as we found out, there was only enough time left for three possessions. The two main things though that bothered me though that I, I think were worse than that. As far as game management, clock management, just management of the whole thing decisions. You, you cannot call a timeout early in the third quarter to punt. I understand you didn't want to run the punt into the look they gave you. You were worried about a block or the return or whatever. They were showing you. They were showing you something that was disconcerting enough to the coaching staff to call timeout. If you are worried about that, you're worried about more. You're, you're worried about a block or a huge return are the two things you're worried about there. You know what? That's worth way more than five yards. You know what's worth more than five yards? The timeout. You know what's five yards of delay a game? Just take the delay and live. That's your timeout. You need to save your second half timeouts. Why? Because late in the game, you ended up, it was down to a two-possession game, it's a 10-point game, and you didn't have enough time left to work all the machinations. The other part is, if you're going to try to kick the field goal instead of go for the touchdown when it's 10 late, you need to do it the second you get into field goal range, like reasonable field goal range, on first down. If you'd kick the field goal, and it had gone in, obviously Schmidt missed. If you'd kick the field goal on first down, and he made it, you'd have been attempting an onside kick. Again, likelihood of recovery, extremely low, beside the point. Result and the action are not tied together. They cannot be tied together in the way you think about it. But you kick the field goal on first down, that was with 20-some-odd seconds left. Now, if you make it, you're down seven, and you have a chance after you recover the onside kick to actually maybe run a couple of plays before hucking it to the end zone. So it's all of it. It's all of it in the mix. It's not just not going for two. It is all of those little decisions. Am I right? I don't know, but I would have done all of them differently for whatever it means. Were the Orange going to win the game? No. If you did everything my way, were the Orange going to win the game? No. The main problem on Saturdays, you fell down by 24. That was the major issue on Saturday was being down by 24 points. Not all those little things. But some coaches are very buttoned up in that stuff. The guy on the opposite sideline, Dave Colossen, and some are not for whatever reason. And, and that's not to pick on Dino for this last week. But it, this is seven years now where it, it's just there's enough of those little things. Has it cost them games? I, I don't know. Maybe. There's not like there's never been like an oh my god super egregious one that was clearly the difference between a win and a loss. 
Like, what have you done? No way to talk your way out of it. I can't think of one. But the the pile of little things like that has added up over seven years. Like, the bag of that stuff is full. The bag of that stuff is full. Did it cost them the game? I don't think so. You gave up 45 points, you're down by 24. That's what cost you the game. But there's enough of the other stuff that is just lingering out there to harp on, and we seem to be able to do it, unfortunately, more often than not. With that, we'll take a break. Adam Terry, when we come back, update from the World Cup. 28th minute about to conclude. Still scoreless, United States and Wales. Adam, when we come back, it's QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 at 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. It's the 315 with Brian Higgins. Yes, sir. I got a death wish. What do you think Zach Brown thinks about the World Cup? They're into the 76th minute somewhere in Qatar. I imagine the travel uh, between locales is less bonkers than it was a little bit in Russia uh, four years ago, but certainly some of the Brazil stuff. Eight years back, we're like, okay, you're playing in Rio one day, and you're going to Manaus in the middle of a, a rainforest uh, three days later. I bet uh, the stuff's not quite as crazy as that. And just the uh, the acreage of Qatar is less. Anyway, U.S. still with the 1-0 lead over the Welsh. Anyway, let's... Uh, Let's get a little bit into the basketball game tonight. Maybe hear a little bit from uh, the Hall of Famer. He is Jim Beheim, and he spoke after the win against Northeastern on Sunday. It's time to spin the wheel. Let's spin the wheel of Beheim. All right. What did uh, Jim have to say after the game? Well, we've heard so much talk. They're going to play a lot of man this year. More man, more man. Well, then the season started. Then they had to play the man, and especially against Colgate, didn't work out so good. So the next game, last game against Northeastern, was essentially all zone, and here is why. Just haven't been good in it in practice, hasn't been good in the games, and I think we have to simplify things. It's a lot more complex for young players to try to learn two defenses in a game, like we're going to now play Monday. Richmond runs a 10 different types of Princeton offensive sets. These young guys, we have one day to show them that. There's no way they could do that. So the zone is the best answer. And I think our zone will get better if we work on it more. But there's no way in two days we're going to get ready to play. And again, some teams are better against zones. Some teams are better against man-to-man. And as the year unfolds, you know, we will see some situations where we'll use man-to-man. But right now, I think it's best for these young guys, particularly, uh, to simplify things and get them to understand this, what they're, what we're doing. So, you know, I, I got the idea of why we might see more men before the start of the season, but the Orange have essentially been playing only zone, and not essentially, Save for a little bit of press, the Orange have been playing only zone going back uh, to 09 and uh, realistically a significant percentage of zone for much longer uh, than that going back to uh, 96-ish. I mean, they, that was uh, the year I'd say the zone really became a thing uh, when it was the run to the Final Four of the National Championship game with 
uh, John Wallace that year. The keep John Wallace out of foul trouble uh, zone. Now it's a little different. Obviously, it's become more of a, a weapon on defensive late, and we'll see if this team can find their identity uh, on the zone on defense. They're starting to find at least their early season identity now on offense. Best, you know, the point total maybe not as high, but you look at the way the offense was run against Northeastern on Saturday, 76 to 48 was the win. Northeastern's not very good, certainly not compared to Colgate or Richmond, the two games uh, around it. But there was a lot of high pick and roll with Mintz and with Edwards, and it wasn't the I'm going to come out here. I'm going to stand here for a while. I'm going to set the pick. You're going to work around it, and then we're going to see what happens. No, it was Jesse. I'm going to get up here real quick. We're going to set a quick little screen. Judah's going to work around it, or Joe, and things are going to happen quickly. Uh, and that takes advantage, I think, of all of their skill sets, especially uh, Jesse, who generally has more speed, maybe not strength, but more speed than people his size. So taking advantage of that with kind of like quick pick and rolls, and it takes advantage of what Judah's good at. You get the pick and roll. You get on the move. You get him and Jesse moving toward the basket. We saw a little bit more from that. And then we know the Orange are not, as a collective, going to be a great three-point shooting team this season, certainly compared to last year. But most of the shots from three last game, Gerard went five for nine. The rest of the team went one for six. Is it going to work out that way every game? No. But when you're able to get your, by far, best three-point shooter, by far, your most amount of three-point attempts. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. And it's what the Orange did. Again, now, Northeastern, not as good as the opponent before, not as good as the opponent after. Or the Orange, or the Orange, the United States. The United States has uh, just conceded a penalty kick to the Welsh into the 81st minute. Gareth Bell has been, Gareth Bell, Gareth Bale, Bale, B-A-L-E. Gareth is very Welsh has been fouled, and the legend is going to head to the spot to try to equalize late on in uh, Qatar. So we'll see what happens here. Not good, but back to the hoops and uh, Judah Mintz. Like, Judah's been good of late. Here is Jim Beheim. on You know, they're tailoring the offense to what he does well, and they're doing what he does, and here's Beheim on Judah. I mean, he's been really good. You know, I like it when one of my predictions comes true. It's good. It's nice to have that happen. He's been very good, very solid, smart, taking what's there. He's just scratching the surface. He, he can get a lot better. I think he will get a lot better. And I think we've already seen that, you know, a few games into the season, especially adding the exhibitions. You're watching him in the exhibitions. He's like, okay, I see a glimpse, but not a whole ton. And, you know, he's gotten better, he's gotten better, he's gotten better. And, you know... He's leaning to what he is. He's taking fewer threes. Last game, yeah, he scored, but five assists, no turnovers. The five assists even more important uh, than the no turnovers. And it's just amazing to see how well uh, he's played, and we'll see how it goes from here. A lot of pressure on him as a freshman point guard, certainly starting and playing for Jim Beheim. And the Welsh have equalized from the penalty spot. The soccer legend playing in his first World Cup for his native Wales Gareth Bale earned the foul. PK good. They're tied at one now in the 82nd minute. And what's funny about what's funny about soccer? And again, I said this. Like the superty duperty soccer fan, there's eight minutes plus some amount of time to go in the game. Like if you're a superty duperty soccer fan, you're like, well, the game's over. It's a draw. 
if you're like an American sports fan that normally watches basketball or football, you're like, man, there's a lot of time left for a goal. I just find that very funny. Anyway, we're watching the soccer, and we're talking about uh, basketball uh, tonight. And again, here is Richmond. They're a team that does not generally play a high pace. Jim Beha mentioned Princeton offense. Perhaps the zone can help mitigate that. And I wonder tonight, if this game turns a little slower and a little more defensive and still in the search for somebody to play the other forward spot opposite Benny Williams. We saw it a little bit on Saturday, but we saw more on Saturday than we've seen it so far this season. Do we see more of Benny and Malik Brown together? Now, when they're both on the court, you do not have a three-point shooter at either forward spot, which is not really how ideally basketball is played today. But at some point, you got to put your best players on the floor. And of the four freshman forwards, or freshmen that are playing forward in some capacity, when you add Kadir Copeland to that mix, who's you know nominally a guard, but is playing small forward for this team generally when he's on. But when you add him, Justin Taylor, Chris Bell, who's done nothing so far, and Brown, you say, okay, who looks like they are ready to play and uh, participate in the college basketball game right now? I'd say number one is Brown. Number two is probably Copeland. Then maybe Taylor, then maybe Bell, like right now. Obviously, Bell is the potential. is the three-point shot and the size. We say, okay, who understands how to play basketball the best right now? And I don't mean any position. I don't mean a position that fits in the roster. I mean just who understands the sport of basketball and what to do, setting aside plays and defense. But who just knows what to do on a basketball court right now? And the answer is Malik Brown. Now, does that compromise the orange on offense? at least in the ability to spread the floor, sure. And w- what are you going to do when you just don't have anyone that can shoot the three on the floor besides Gerard? I don't know. But my my bet is we'll see a little bit more of uh, that combination tonight just because it uh, it's been a little effective. It's maybe not ideal, but you got to lean into what you got. The Arch have been doing that with Edwards and what works best for him with Mintz and with Gerard. Got to keep leaning. We'll see if Malik Brown gets a few more minutes tonight. That is what I, I am hoping to see when we get Cuse and Richmond tonight at 7 o'clock. With that, we'll take our final break of uh, the program. We'll uh, ride this soccer game uh, to the finish line or close to. As uh, they, they play in pretty much two hours on the button. That's how uh, soccer rolls. And we'll tell you what's on tap for tonight. A little bit more on this basketball game when we come back to finish out the hour here on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. 